everybody, and welcome to the AJS Devi Draft uh, Recap. I hope you just listened to our NFL uh, Draft Recap a moment ago. We recorded these back-to-back. We're, uh, we're ready to go to finish this show out strong with a review of the Devi Draft, our inaugural Devi Draft. Nick Rice dropping fire and bombs. Uh, Justin, bring in the energy. This is going to be a fun time. <laughs> I'm hoping to just stay out of this without getting punched too hard too many times. Uh, we'll see what happens here. Uh, let's start with just a general recap. Um, guys, Debbie, how much did this draft change your usual draft strategies? How, how much different was this draft than others? Nick, we'll start with you. Uh, well, for me, I wanted, uh, I, I kind of had a strategy at the end of last year to just get rid of draft picks because uh, I want guys that are proven, right? So we know statistically, or I know, maybe the people don't believe me, but I've done the math. And statistically, you're going to hit on about 40% of the guys you take in the draft. So if I'm going to trade a guy who has real value, is going to score fantasy points for a, for a draft pick that's only going to give me a 40% chance to hit, it's no good. That trade's no good. So... Um, but once you start to look at Devi, now you're talking about top-end guys, right? So naturally, in the first round, you're going to hit on much more than 40%. And as you go down, once you get to the fifth, it's a crapshoot. You're probably not even hitting on 40%. But once you add Devi into the mix, then you start looking at guys that are projecting as first-rounders next year, first-rounders the year after. So that's going to kind of kick the numbers back up if you can project the right guys. So... Um, yeah, so we kind of, over these last few months, I've wanted to start piling up late round picks that I could use on future guys. I think, uh, I think the draft is going to start to get really watered down of top end talent and make the miss rate even more in future drafts. So I wanted to kind of capitalize on that, but, uh, it, it was certainly interesting to see everybody's take about how they value, obviously the three of us value players and positions very differently. Maybe we'll talk about that in a second, how we value positions, but yeah. Yeah, cool, I think it's amazing cool, that cool this time like, I'm looking at the record, like a month or two ago, you had zero picks, like zero. And now you had, you took six selections in this draft. That's awesome. I'd say that you, re, you rebuilt quick and got into this draft fast. <laughs> yeah, I have a hard time trading for draft picks. Uh, anytime there's like a deal and they're like, how about this pick for that player? I'm like, uh, I don't know. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around what that pick is going to equate to. Um, so that's a tough deal to make. But yeah, I did, I did end up grabbing, I had seven picks and ended up using one recently. And I, and then I was kind of regretting it. I'm like, man, I would have loved to have that seventh guy, but <laughs> yeah, it worked that out was, good. That, that, that was us. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So, Justin, what about you? How did this draft affect you? Draft for talent, trade for need. Draft for talent, trade for need. That's my evaluation in every single rookie draft, and it stayed the same in Debbie. I looked at talent. I put my guys in the order that I think. Right, like I literally took away what year do I think they're going to join the league and just said, who, who are the most talented guys? And I put them in order, and then I went out and drafted them in that order for me. Um, and Which, granted, people are going to disagree with me, right? Like me taking – Jerry Neely, people, you know, I get it. Like, I, I, I know I'm higher than most on him. Isaiah Spiller, 
taking him early in the first. A lot of people think he might lose his job this year. There's zero percent chance of that he might win the Heisman, but that's another conversation for another time. Um, and so for me, I drafted for talent, man. Getting these guys that I fully believe in, I think are the best talented guys. Uh, yeah, do I need more running backs? No, it's the last thing my team probably needs. I have like six running backs, seven running backs now that I think are super talented. But I'll trade for need. I can do that later because I'd rather have someone that's worth more, especially like Nick said um, in our last podcast, six months before the season. However, we're not, probably not six, but we're forever away from the season. So let me just get talent now and then I'll trade for whatever I need as the time comes. Yeah, I love it. Um, I, I did the same thing with wide receivers. I just ended up with <laughs> enough to, to roster six teams. Uh, let's, let's jump into our recap of the draft itself. Uh, let's talk about the best pick for you. Best pick in the draft. Who is it? Justin, best pick. Yeah, so I have the number the best pick in my in terms of value and everything was actually you, Bishop, getting Kyron Williams in the fifth. My goodness, that dude's a stud. We've talked about him, and he just kept slipping. And like, man, and I probably actually broke my rule that I just talked about when at the four oh six I took Jackson Smith and Jiggler, who's great, but I probably believe more in Kyron Williams and that hit rate of a good running back, uh, who's going to be a, probably a second round talent. Um, in all reality, looking looking at the draft board right now, I probably would have done that a little differently. But so, so for me to say I should have taken him five picks beforehand, even more so. Kyron Williams is a stud. He's on an offense. So he's going to run for over a thousand yards again this year. Um, he knows how to avoid avoid contact. He's like 5'10", 200, that prototypical NFL body. Um, big believer in Kyron Williams. So for you to get him there in the fifth at the forty, what is that, the forty first pick of the draft? That's ridiculous value. So congratulations. In my opinion, best pick of the draft in terms and of value. The, and the best pass blocker in the draft. Yeah. Um, that's exciting. Oh, my goodness. Did you guys just get the notification? Timothy Tebow it. has just been signed by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Hey, I picked him up in a few leagues. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> anyway, that's not the point of this conversation. Uh, so, Nick, what was your best pick in the draft? Uh, I think the, the easiest for me, I'm worried about the bust rate, right? So for me, uh, I want a guy that I don't think is going to miss. And when Cameron picked Pitts, that he's already got Kelsey. He's already got the best tight end in the league, you know, arguably. And he's got Hawkinson, who's well on his way to being top five. You know, he's a top five guy already. Yeah. Then he adds Pitts. It's the epitome of make a strength, keep a strength a strength you know, um, that it almost feels unfair that he has that kind of depth at that position, which enables him to be able to trade with whoever he wants and get an awful lot in return. Um, something more than what would have been available at the, what, number four pick. So, oh, um, yeah, I think that was a, I mean, tremendous pick uh, right there. I think for a later round guy, uh, Eric Gray, running back out of Oklahoma. I think um, he's going to be a pretty good back and um, probably has a really good chance. So I think Benji got a good one there. I think that was That's actually, that's, that's my pick as well. Um, Eric Gray going to, to Benji at the 307. That's the 12th running back off the board. And if yeah. you're telling me that the 12th running back off the board is, is Eric Gray, that is an absolute slam dunk steal. Um, yeah, I thought, I thought this draft was interesting, but what motivates and drives conversations isn't the good picks. Let's be honest. 
That's not why we tune into this. Uh, we're not looking to get, you know, hear about how smart everyone is. Let's talk about the most head-scratching picks in this draft, the worst picks. Justin, you got some? Well, I just wanted to say, you actually have Jane Elian here at wide receiver on accident, which I'm not calling you out, but that would make, that would make Eric Gray the 13th running back taken, which is probably oh goodness, even better value. Just letting you know that it's even even better than you thought, which which means getting Jerry Neely at 12 was fascinating as well. But <laughs> carry yeah. on. Just wanted to let you know. No, that's, that's a good point. So 13th overall running back. Benji got a steal there. Let's break down the worst picks in this draft and, and the ones that really kind of got us thinking to ourselves, what in the world is going on in that person's brain? Justin, your worst pick in the draft. So if I'm going to say what on earth was going on in this person's brain, there's only like three guys in our league that I feel comfortable saying that to because of relationships. <laughs> um, so Chase, I'm not going to say that in those terms to you, but Javante Williams in the first, mind boggling to me. Um, that doesn't make sense. Um, I don't think he should go at the 106 in a normal rookie draft. I think it's way too early. Um, because he's, I don't believe in the talent. Like, I'm low on the talent. I get it. I know Denver traded up to get him. I know that. I get it. He's taken early in the second. In the second. Sorry, I had some weird feedback. Um, But taking him here before Brees Hall, for example, like, it's draft for talent, trade for need for me. And you're looking at, I would take Brees Hall, Isaiah Skiller, Devonta Smith, Jameer Gibbs, Traylon Briggs, Keishon Briggs. Like, I mean, just the lit, like, all those next guys over Javante Williams, the guy who couldn't even dominate his own college backfield. Those kind of guys that can't dominate their own college backfield don't transition well usually. So there's a high miss rate for me and Javante Williams just inherently into him. Uh, so I thought it was far too early to take a guy like that. But I get it. You know, you've, you kind of got the Denver backfield locked up, you know. So, I, I mean, that part made sense to me, but – or no, he doesn't. Does he have – what's his face? The running back for Melvin Gordon? I, I shouldn't have said that. You can edit that out. Um, Gordon's still there, but he won't be there long. I mean, Gordon's right, yeah. over the hump now in the back end of his career. So that the future is Williams yeah. there. Yeah, it should be. should be, right? Um, and we'll just see how successful he is. Because um, I thought the future at quarterback was Drew Locke for them. So sometimes, sometimes we're just wrong, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering how long when the show we were going to go before someone brought up Drew Locke just to mock you, but you did it on yourself. Self burns are rare. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's, uh, I'll, I'll pitch out my thought and then we'll get Nick's take on the worst pick. To me, the most head scratching one was Kenneth Gainwell at the 210, ahead of Zamir White, ahead of Jerry Ely, ahead of Eric Gray. I didn't get it. I don't see it, uh, especially at the end of the second round of the Debbie draft. I don't know why you go there. Um, he was very low on my board, not because his talent's not there, but because the landing spot was so unideal. Now, with that being said, he is, <clears throat> Justin is just coming off the Super Bowl run. Uh, he did win the championship. He has a great roster, so he's not needing anything. He's just trying to restock for potential players to help him now. I respect that. Um, but I, I don't see that. To me, there was better options, other places to go. I think his wide receiving room needs some help. I think that could have been a good place to address it. Uh, J-Raj, you taught me Hebrew. You helped teach me Greek. You are one of the smartest individuals I've ever met. I just don't get that pick, man. Uh, professor. Uh, Nick, what about you? Uh, you're not going to like this, Bishop. Uh, I agree with you that Gainwell at 210 was a, was a reach and too much because the fit in the NFL is so bad. But the talent, the talent's there. I thought you had two picks in a row that are no good. Drake London at 3-2. 
is too early. Too early. <laughs> and then uh, da, 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 four at the 4-4, four, four, you had Jordan Addison. That, that Way one, too yeah. early. Yeah. Addison could have easily been a guy who doesn't even get drafted at all. I, I mean, I think, I think you were that far reaching for him. Um, I mean, we can talk about this, but I think you obviously value wide receivers very differently than I do. Um, I think that wide receivers are maybe the least safe pick in it to project into the future because the fit matters the most. They're dependent on someone else getting the ball in the NFL. So if you end up in a really terrible situation, uh, talent doesn't matter. You just get boxed out of opportunity. And uh, so to project a receiver like that, uh, I, I think you really reached. I think if I'm, if I'm looking at a receiver in a Debbie draft, I want a guy who's dominant. I mean, dominant, dominant. Um, to sort of hedge that bet, but for me, that was too much. I respect that. Jordan Addison is a, is a breach. Um, I, I'll be the first to say I like Jordan Addison a lot. Uh, so I, I went out and got my guy. That was early. Drake London is an interesting one, though, because I think there would be a lot of people who would disagree with your assessment on him. Um, and full fairness, the fact that you stole, stole Mechie when you did. I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna, I'm not gonna argue with you on your ability to get late round receiving talent and Debbie. Um, according to, I'm a, I'm a Sean Siegel disciple. He is my hero. He has Jordan Addison as his wide receiver seven overall in Debbie. Um, and so I, yeah, and he has Drake London as wide receiver nine. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not that high on him. Please don't misunderstand. I'm not high, that high on either of them. Um, but I also will say that John Mechie, uh, getting him there, that was almost my pick of the draft uh, if it wasn't for the Eric Gray pick. Uh, yeah, I think totally there. I can see where you thought I reached. And quite frankly, on the Addison one, I own that. I absolutely did reach. Uh, and boy, howdy, I have more wide receivers than Run DMC has rhymes. So we'll uh, – Here's oh, the thing. Ahead. For me, you know, at the 3-2, you picked right before me. And – I wasn't anticipating being able to get Michael Carter at the 3-3. I'm not a huge fan of his overall talent. Coming into the draft, before I knew where he was going to play, I would have thought Carter's a guy I probably don't want. But whoever ends up being the starter for the Jets is going to have one of 32 starting NFL jobs, and that has value. And they're going to run the ball a lot, and they don't have a whole lot else on that roster, assuming that he can win that job away from guys who, you know, Tevin Coleman, uh, Samaj P. Ryan, like, you know, guys who have proven they can't handle that job. If he can wrestle that job away from them, man, that value, I think, is more than a future wide receiver where you have no idea who his quarterback's going to be, what his landing spot's going to be. Um, what the rest of his college career is going to look like. That's a lot of unknown for a guy who you know now is in line for a pretty good job. I agree with that whole assessment. And what's even funnier is that he doesn't even have to beat out Samaj P. Ryan. He has to beat out the worst of the P. Ryans, LaMichael <laughs> P. Ryan. So, I mean, right. good gracious. Exactly. <laughs> Jay, yeah. what, what you got? I saw your hand go up. 
Um, I was actually going to say I actually like Michael Carter's talent more than Javante Williams's talent. I've said that I've said that famously like a month and a half, but pre-draft I got famously. I don't know why I said that. Like as if anybody cares what I think. Um, but I did say that. Like I I've been a t- fan. I draft Bishop. You and I are in a league together. I just had a startup with rookies included, and I got Michael Carter. You know, he's and I'm very pleased to be starting him since I also have D Hop and Tyree Kill and company. But um, so that worked out phenomenally. So I've, I love the talent there, and I loved your pick there, Nickel. Um, and But also to your point, I would have I, – I think I would have taken Drake London over Elijah Moore. So he, I don't think he would have gotten back to you for what – like looking at what I had there. He was he was my next highest receiver or right up next available. But I think to Nick's point, drafting wide receivers, taking the shots on wide receivers, that's harder to analyze than anything else. Um that, that they're so landing spot dependent. This this uh, draft was designed to completely change franchises in our league. That was kind of what we were hoping would happen. And there were a lot of teams that came out of this draft looking a lot better than when they went in. Let's talk a little bit about breakdown. In your opinion, what team in our league was most improved by the draft? Justin, we'll kick it off to you. Yeah, I thought that Parker did a great job of getting immediately impactful players. Um, so, sure, did did he trade away Alvin Kamara for probably not quite enough to me? Probably. But, as we said earlier, no one's going to be surprised when Harris is a top 10 back, right? And then he – all and, and we all know that Kamara's kind of getting around that age threshold, you know? So he kind of got rid of someone that – and a, a weird offense. We at least know what to expect out of Pittsburgh. With New Orleans right now, we don't even know who the starting quarterback is, right? It, it might be Ian Book. <laughs> I mean, that's like a 2% chance, but it could happen. Um, and then getting Jamar Chase right after that, and then, I, and then Rondell Moore after that. And this is one of those two guys, if not both of them, it's going to be at least decent, if not good. And then for Jamar Chase, if not great, right? The prospect is there. Um, I traded up. That was my original target, right? When I traded up for the one-on-one originally, it was for Jamar Chase. And then as things fell, I kind of realized that I might could get Kamara, and I'd rather have Kamara right now. And you know, in a free league, you really want to win now. You know, I think that's just league. <laughs> that was a joke. Um, so I, I thought that Parker did a great job of stockpiling immediate talent into his roster, so that he's, I think, right. You know, in twenty twenty two, he's a major player. Yeah, I actually uh, to, to pivot off of that, my, the guy that really his franchise I think was changed by this draft was uh, Benji. Spartans won. Um, I think he did a great job. Um, I thought, you know, he landed so many good players for his lifetime value. He added Minton, Pickens, Eric Gray, um, McCoy, Gilbert, Egbuka. I think he has really created a very good, uh, I mean, bundle of very, very high prospect players for the future. Uh, Post-draft, he did make a couple of moves like Dylan and Vaughn to try to get some immediate, like, help now. I don't mind it. I think his lifetime value tremendously increased post or with the draft. I think he added so much talent in the future um, for his for his his uh, his team. Uh, Nick, who was your thought on the the franchise that really improved the most? Uh, well, I think the franchise that improved the most is probably Cameron. His roster doesn't have many holes. And if you look at what he added, it's like stupid how deep his talent is that he added. It doesn't even look fair. I mean, he added Brees Hall. He added Gibbs. He added Waddle and Garrett Wilson and got Pitts. 
I mean, he got like the top of the top at every single position. I'm not a believer in Rattler, but he doesn't really need him. So it was like, you know, he had kind of worked his way into a lot of top picks. So you knew he was going to get a lot of top talent. Um, I think the potential for the biggest impact from the draft could be Jay Riggity. Now, I think he's got some of the best group of wide receivers in the league. And then he added Devontae Smith, who's going to get tons of targets. He added Amari Rogers, who Aaron Rodgers has been begging for. And assuming he's still a Green Bay Packer, Rodgers' ceiling is going to be super high. Um, and I, I'm not as down on Kadarius Tony as you are. I think that Shepard is actually maybe going to lose that job because he can't really stay very healthy. He seems to me like kind of a Percy Harvin. Like, yeah, he's a good talent, but the greatest ability is availability kind of situation there. So I think adding those three guys to what's a pretty deep wide receiver room, I think he swung and missed bad at running back. I mean, all three of those guys I really don't like. He took, you know, Gainwell, who we've already talked about, and Trey Sermon and Stevenson, like going into the draft, a strategy that includes taking one running back from the 49ers and one from the Patriots, the two most frustrating, horrible running back situations in the league. That is not good. But I don't think he needs running backs particularly, even though he's kind of thin. I don't think he needs running backs particularly. And he's got so many wide receivers now. He could have a really great roster, but only if he makes some trades. If he sits on all those wide receivers, then it's wasted. But I think if he makes a few trades and evens out the rest of the roster, he's in a really good spot to have had a tremendous draft. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, I was just making a taking a look here. I think he has the most immediate upside, but we'll get to in just a second my thoughts on Jay Riggity's draft class. Let's flip the script a little bit uh, and talk about the teams that we think least improved by this year's draft. By the smile on Nick's face, I think I know where he's going. Go ahead, Nick. What do you think? I wrote down Justin. Oh, what? My team's so I, I love my draft so much. I yeah, I think you've I think you've got some pretty good pieces. Um but I don't I don't really love what you did at wide receiver. And you only roster, if I've got this right, you've only got five wide receivers on your roster yeah, before the draft. True. Yeah, I think it is true. I'm looking at, I think you've got five guys and I like all five of those guys, but man, is that thin. I know. Look at Bishop. He's over here. Like, no, I got, well, I, I added a lot of rookies post-draft. Okay. All right. Maybe I don't have it. Maybe I don't have the rookies added post-draft, but I mean, you've got five pretty legit guys, but then you added these three and I'm not sure those are the three I would have wanted. I'm not real big on Elijah Moore. Um, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think, is going to be fine. I don't think we know enough yet about who he is. And, uh, and he's, you know, a little bit away, a few years away probably, right? He's not coming out next year, mm -hmm. a couple years away. So um, 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I think that uh, your class didn't help you as much as uh, part, part of it's because I think your wide receivers are great. Your running backs, you know, mostly because of that deal with Kamara are probably the best running backs in the league at the top end. Um, I like that you picked up Trevor Lawrence. Um, I know that you think Ryan Tannehill is, is your guy. <laughs> and I think he's probably not adequate. I think you sort of lucked your way into, by way of value, you know, a much an improvement at quarterback. Not this year, but maybe next year. Um, but I think I think uh, if that works out, then you get a pretty legit team. Yeah, I'll say my uh, my strategy for a quarterback is I think I've got four four guys that I can stream against when they play a bad defense. Right. That's kind of, I'm, I'm basically playing streaming quarterback with my own guys. Right. I've got a whole bunch of like quarterback late in twos. Right. I think I have a whole bunch kind of in the same tier. So it's like, oh, the Dolphins get to go against insert bad defense here. I'll start two of this week. And then, oh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's going against the Cowboys twice a year. Great. Locked and loaded. You know, um, things like that's, that's kind of, and then like you said, though, Trevor Lawrence, that was like an upside play. You know, if he ends up being as good as I think he is, we're set up. So I get it though. I get it. I didn't draft receivers. Like you said, I could have drafted wide receiver heavy. And I think you would have, would you, would you have liked it more if you kind of like most of those guys turned into like, I don't know, just higher end receivers. Well, the only, the only players you added, they're going to help your team this year. I mean, Lawrence Elijah probably Moore. isn't going to help you this year. It's, it's more. And yeah. I don't really like more. So <laughs> it's not the, I mean, obviously you guys saw my draft grades. I think Bishop had the worst draft, but the, the draft that help, that improves the team the least, I think, is you. And part of that's because, you know, you didn't add any pieces that help you right away. I, I do like we did at running back, though. I'm not real big on Ely, but I like Spiller and Robinson, I think, are two really great picks. That down the road, people are going to be like, dang, that's a... That's a <laughs> yeah, thanks. Someone's got to replace CMC and Kamara. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, yeah, I... I, uh, first of all, I'm absolutely offended that you only have, you only had five wide receivers on your roster going into it. Wide receiver is the most important position in fantasy football. And if you don't have the best wide receiving core, then you will lose every year. That's just the reality of it. Oh. By the way, I'll, can, can you, the can guys you start? played for two title games for the worst team in the league. <laughs> weren't, you in both, weren't you in both of the bottom bowls? Probably. Yeah. I don't doubt it. Maybe, it was, maybe I'm mixing you yeah. up with Jeff, the first one. Well, and I, I agree with what you're saying, Bishop. That's why I have terrific receivers. I, yeah, I, quality over quantity, all right? I think I've got three of the top 12 receivers in fantasy this year, and I'm ready to I rock and roll, though. I think you might, but here's the reality. Um, Say well, again? This, three of the top what? Three of the top 12. Okay. With Adam, especially if, I'm, if, if Aaron Rodgers is back. Adams, Galladay, Cooper. I think they're all going to be may, maybe top fifteen for Galladay. I'm a believer. I think he's an alpha on that offense. I think but. if there is one of us here who has three of the top twelve wide receivers, it is most definitely Nick. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> no if doubt. We, if we have three, I think I have two, three maybe, depending on how Jerry Judy decides to play football. Um, <laughs> but. Let's uh, let's move on here. Um, I, I do want to say one quick thing on Elijah Moore. Uh, there was Elijah Moore slander that happened just a moment ago by Nick, and I refuse to let that happen. 
uh, on any <laughs> podcast I'm ever on. Elijah Moore is an absolute stud. Uh, I mean, he, he broke out in a season with A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf, both playing on that roster. He ate up SEC defenses consistently, and the wide receiver prospect lab gives him a 90, per, 90 percentile um, prospect score, which is very, very, very high, along with Devontae Adams, Des Bryant, Golden Tate, Brandon Cooks, and Sammy Watkins. Um, Sammy's a bust, but the rest, I'll take that company. I believe in Elijah Moore. I believe he's going to a system where they're going to get rid of Jamison Crowder. If they cut him before June 1st or July 1st, they gain $11 million in cap room and have zero dead money. He's gone. Elijah Moore is going to slide into that Jamison Crowder role. I'm excited for it. Uh, I think he's going to feast, but that's not what we're talking about here. He's going to slide um, into that Sam Darnold role. That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> that's a fair point. That is the fair point. Um, let's, uh, let me offer my thoughts quickly on the least improved by the draft. I thought it was Jay Riggity. Um, I don't think he improved. I think he stayed exactly where he was. I think he had Devonta Smith, which was a good ad outside of that. He added three running backs that are going to sit on a taxi squad and not help his roster at all now or ever. And that's what I'm, that's what concerns me is that those three picks are going to kick him in the butt because if he would have drafted Debbie there. Then next year or the year after when his team gets old and they move out, he would have had three new guys to push in and he would have consistent his uh, lifetime value. I don't think, I don't think this draft was what he needed. Now it might be what he needs to try to get to another championship right now, hoping that one of those three running backs do does something. But in my estimation, Bishop Darby's opinion, you should have gone lifetime value there because you've got a roster that can win now. You just, you just won. We know that. So make sure your roster stays good for years instead of just trying to, to overstock, uh, especially overstock at, with guys that, that don't really have the ceiling. He wasn't even going ceiling plays. There, you know, Javian Hawkins wasn't the guy he got. Trey Sermon was. That kind of stuff, uh, it's a little head-scratching to me. Um, let's let me end this conversation. That real quick. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you a quick question about that. What would you give Jay Riggity for Stefan Diggs? Wow. My heart and soul. Um, uh, yeah, close to, I mean, other than DK Metcalf and AJ Brown, Stefan Diggs may be wide receiver three or four for me that I want. Would you give him uh, Taylor for Diggs? I'm not trying to make a trade happen in this pod. <laughs> no, it, that would be close. He would do um, it. I, I might do it. He would do that. So, so when you look at his roster, if Smith, Rogers, or Tony, who I think all have the potential to be what Jeff Justin Jefferson was last year, maybe he decides I have a luxury. I've got Robert Woods, who's now matched up with Matthew Stafford. He's made, he could go berserk this year. You got Juju back in Pittsburgh, who I think is probably the wide receiver three on that team. If Ruggs takes a step up, T.Y. Hilton's pretty productive for an old guy. He's a good, you know, kind of top of the bench piece. If he decided that all of a sudden Devontae Smith is getting tons of targets, getting lots of work, that he says, maybe I can move digs and make my team better. Don't you think that even though we all agree he kind of missed it running back there, he could add whatever he wants with the pieces he's got. That's I mean, he true. could make a gigantic move. And look at his draft status next year. He's got three number one picks. He's got 
two number threes, <laughs> five number four, four number four picks. He's loaded with picks. If he invested those picks and started making some moves, his team could be bulletproof. I mean, if you had Mahomes and Derrick Henry and Diggs and Jefferson, I mean, you tell me, what is that team missing? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's much he's missing. By the way, if you really wanted to see me be ridiculous, you should have asked, what would you trade for Justin Jefferson? The answer to that is, I actually, this is, I can say this now because he declined it and it's over. I, I sent him an offer that involved Michael Thomas, Debo Samuels, and pieces. Um, like I'm, Justin Jefferson is like top three for me. Uh, so I, I was really impressed by that. But I think he has so much talent uh, around that roster. And to your point, Nick, I think he definitely can. But in my opinion, this year in the drafts, he didn't improve. Uh, I think his team as a whole, he has so much that he can do to improve. But I don't think he took advantage of that in the draft. It's trade dependent. Yeah, yeah. it's absolutely it's trade, trade dependent. dependent. Jay, yeah. what, what is your thoughts here? Devi. No Devi. I That's, think there were three guys in our league that didn't take a single Devi player, which is and that's a bold take. Wild, yeah, Jay. What is your thoughts here? Team least improved by the draft. Oh, let me get back to that. I've been looking at Jay Riggity because I feel good about my roster. I feel my like, this roster is untouchable. Then I look at other people's rosters. I'm like, other people also have good rosters, Justin. <laughs> that's good for me to remember. So looking at Riggity's roster is good. Um, for me, I mean, earlier was brought up that Cam. You know, his was the most improved. And I, I just don't know, I don't know if you can go from, like, if going from best to best roster is an improvement or not, but it was just incredible. His his picks were just terrific. Pitts, Hall, and Gibbs. Those are three guys that I, I think the worst one, the one that has the lowest ceiling, in my opinion, of those three is Brees Hall, who might be David Montgomery, which is still really good, right? Um, and so I had no, I, I had no thoughts. Also, Cam Haynes just put someone on the trade block, and it's I'm just so interested to see who it is later. Um, but so I just thought Cam's draft was great. Um, and so, yeah, you, Cameron, you killed it. Um, absolutely. I have no, no disrespect at all. I, I love his roster. I love what he did in the draft. What about least improved? Oh, my bad. That's what you asked. Um, so <laughs> um, I'm going to say that Chase had the least improved because he got two guys. He got the fourth, run, fourth quarterback drafted in the NFL draft, and he got um, – who? Um, what's his face? Williams. Yeah, Javante Williams, who I already mentioned earlier how much I didn't like. Um, so I, I kind of – I put in the notes, someone's got to say Chase. <laughs> we got two players, and one, of them's a, and one of them's a quarterback, a rookie quarterback in a 10-team league with, that only starts one. So, yeah, that I no disrespect. I mean, those two guys – even if those two guys end up being really good, uh, it's still least improved because you only got two guys, uh, which is not great, you know. So that's like no slander. Just didn't didn't love that. Yeah. Let's uh, let's do two things and then we'll wrap up for the day uh, quickly. Here, I just kind of want to talk through something. Um, Nick, you published for those of you listening and who haven't read it yet, you definitely should. You published your annual draft grades. Uh, I thought they were hilarious. I don't want you to give any spoilers. I want everyone to go read that article. Uh, let me say this. Is there anything that, as you were doing research, jumped out to you um, as you were looking at our rosters and our picks that, that you feel like you want to share or questions you want to ask? Um, let, me, let me share this, okay? We, we were talk, we've kind of danced around this idea that we value players and positions differently. So I'll give you an insight into what I'm thinking. There, were, there are four fantasy positions. 
And the way that we value players, right? College football is a different game from professional football, is a different game from fantasy football. So there is no translation between all three of these things. There's something lost and something gained between each of these things. So to look just at college talent and dig purely into the numbers, you miss it. It's not the same game once they get to the professional level. And when you're looking at a professional athlete and looking at fantasy, it's totally different. Being a good quarterback doesn't matter. Be, putting Piling up numbers matters, right? The things that score points matter. In our specific league, it's not even true from league to league what guys are going to be any good, depending on what the settings are. Here's, here's my rule when it comes to these four positions, okay? The greatest predictor of future success for a quarterback is past success. Quarterbacks who win in college win in the pros. By and large, quarterbacks who succeed at the next level succeeded at the last level. I don't want a quarterback who has, people go crazy about the measurables. He's got a rocket for an arm. How many guys have we seen that have this amazing arm talent, but it didn't translate to victories? Josh Rosen is a great example of this. Everybody loved what he did at the combine. They love what he looks like in practice, but he didn't win in a conference that's not at the top of its game. You know, he couldn't even, he couldn't even elevate his team to the top of that conference. Then you get in the NFL, it's a complete washout. Smart guys who win in college win in the pros. For running backs, it's totally different. It's yards. Rushing yards matters. If you go back and look at stats year over year, and you look at the top 10 uh, highest rushing yards for any given season, I guarantee six of those guys, if not more, are successful NFL running backs. Every successful NFL running back you can you could name piled up yards in college. The only exception is when you look at the list of stats of the top 10 highest rushers in any given season, it's a list of it's two categories, NFL studs and gimmick offense quarterbacks. It's whoever the quarterback was at Navy plus every guy who's successful in the NFL running yards in college translates to the NFL game. For wide receivers, it's a total crapshoot. It's the measuring tape. People get obsessed with body type, height, wingspan, hand size, speed. It has nothing to do with on-field production, right? We were talking earlier about Michael Thomas, who was a really unflattering college wide receiver, and he put up the best season as a wide receiver in the history of football. The two things are totally unrelated. It's, it's measurables. All the guys that we're talking about, you know, after the college season wraps up, it, it has nothing to do with production, typically. For tight ends, there's only one factor that matters. Did they go to Iowa? <laughs> if they went to Iowa, you want them. If they didn't, you don't. That's it. Other than that, even NFL GMs have no idea what makes a good tight end. Look at the history of the draft and see the order in which tight ends were taken. The best tight end out of every draft class was not the first guy taken. I mean, almost without exception. 
every year, the guy who ends up being the best, particularly fantasy tight end, is like the third or fourth guy. He's super deep in the draft. Doesn't translate a college game. So that's why I'm a little bit uh, nervous about Pitts. You go, yeah, he was a great college football tight end. So what? It doesn't translate. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't. I don't know why, but it, it rarely ever translates that way. So, uh, you know, for me, looking at the draft, I just evaluated totally differently. The running back is the easiest uh, translation to make from college to the pro game. The, the I mean, it's easiest to project looking at a college player, whether or not they're going to be successful. If you go back and look, look at seven, eight years ago, uh, the recruiting ranks, kids coming out of high school who the experts, the scouts, thought were going to be the top talents. If you look at running backs, the top of those ranks, all those running backs, they're in the league. They, they were good in high school. They were good in college. They made it to the pros and stayed good. All of the top receivers are guys you've never heard of. It changes completely because guys are still growing and the size is what matters. You go, yeah, coming out of high school, he was six foot one. Now he's six, four and a half. He's a totally different guy. He projects completely differently now, you know, after a growth spurt in college or after putting on muscle in a, in a major college program, he's a totally different guy. It doesn't work that way for running backs. So when we're looking at Debbie, I want five running backs for every one wide receiver I take because those guys are much more likely to, to hit. That's, I mean, you look at my draft, that's why I ended up with the team I did. I took five running backs and two wide receivers. And to be honest, I didn't even intend to take two wide receivers. I wanted all running backs because uh, tight ends are worthless, by the way. I'll throw that in. Um, never take a tight end in a fantasy draft. I want nothing to do with a Debbie tight end. But uh, all those running backs that I took, you know, Kamar Wheaton, he's like, doesn't even have his dorm room yet in Alabama. And I've already got him on my roster. So <laughs> it's going to be a while before that gets realized. But he was the top guy coming out of high school. I think at Alabama, where they manufacture running backs like crazy, I think he's very likely to continue to be the top guy. So whenever he makes his way to the pros, I think he's the number one running back. And I've got him sitting in my taxi. It'd be a long taxi ride, but I've got him sitting in the taxi waiting. I think he's going to be a stud. But I can't, I can't project that for wide receivers in the same way. So I don't want 19. Brand That's a fair point. That is a fair point. I think uh, the only thing, the, the reason I counter a little bit on that, and I think this is where, this is an interesting philosophy conversation. Justin can chime in here in a second. But um, my view is that I'm a big believer in uh, volatility at running back more than any other position in football. The reality is a bad wide receiver very seldom succeeds. Regardless of landing spot, a bad wide receiver very seldom succeeds. However, uh, we have seen Zach Stacy run 1,400 yards in the NFL after being an undrafted free agent. We have seen Alfred Morris break the rookie rushing record. Alfred Morris. Uh, Carlos Hyde, for some reason unknown to the world, still has an NFL job, despite the fact having the worst efficiency yards in NFL history a year ago. I, I mean, you have these guys who, running back to me is so volatile. I have 
Kenneth Gainwell, incredible prospects who have succeeded at every level, make it to the NFL and die because of draft spot. Uh, to me, it's more valuable. James Robinson comes out, runs an incredible amount of yardage and then dies because historically, at least, maybe this is a different situation, but historically undrafted free agents when the team drafts a running back, it's over for them. And so you look at all these situations that un unfold and there's just so much volatility. Wide receivers, there's a higher bust rate. That is 100% true, 100% true. Uh, but to me, and just where I'm at, is that I, I look at lifetime value versus immediate gain. I think that the running back position is harder to guarantee year to year. This time three years ago, Todd Gurley was going 101 in almost every single dynasty startup, and now he's dead. You know who's not dead? Devontae Adams, who was three years ago a first-rounder, and guess what? is still a first-rounder. Julio Jones, who despite the fact that he's 49 and has been in the league since I was a small child, since my dad was a small child, and played alongside quarterbacks like Matt Ryan and Joe Montana and Steve Young and Fran Tarkenton, is still a top-10 wide receiver. Uh, the lifetime value is, is unbelievable. Uh, my whole perspective on life changed November 2nd, 2013, when an article by a guy named Sean Ziegel called Zero Running Back and the Anti-Fragility and the Myth of Value-Based Drafting came out, in which he, he charted an 11-year process of watching running backs in Dynasty. And what was discovered was that to get a wide receiving core that is successful is more likely to achieve long-time consistent success than a running back room. And um, I've ridden that horse, the Zero RB horse, for several years now. And I've won several championships in Dynasty. I've also been in last place in several years. Thus is the, the gamble of the zero RB approach. But I do value wide receivers more than I value running backs. Uh, the only format that I value wide receivers less than another position is in Superflex, where I value the quarterback the most. Here's, here's the thing, though. You're talking about the lifetime of a player, right? And it's easier to project longevity for a wide receiver. How many people are on your roster now that were on your roster day one last season? Not many. Maybe not any. Let's be serious well, here. The way in which we trade, why true. would you care what a receiver is going to do four years from now? He's not going to be on your roster. There's no way. There is no chance you're keeping a guy that long. All you care about is what he gives you now, right? So – I don't care that James Robinson is messed up this year because ATN got drafted. What I want is to have him last year when his opportunity was undeniable. I want Michael Carter this year because his opportunity is tremendous. Opportunity equals points. And I think opportunity for running backs is easy to predict now. If the opportunity changes, you dump the guy. You're going to be dumping him anyway. Players I think that's so true. Fast. I don't need a player that projects five years from now to be, you don't know what's going to happen to the team in five years. That is the so true. That could be different. The offensive line gets ruined. Guess what? Now we're, the coach gets fired. Now we're a pass heavy team and not a run heavy team. Every, it, it's, too, it's too unpredictable. There's too many variables. So control what you can. And a guy who's got a starting NFL running back job, it's pretty predictable. His fantasy results are yeah. pretty predictable because they're going to hand him the ball X amount of times a game. And, you know, just a competent, even only halfway competent running back is going to fall forward and end up with a certain number of yards and a certain number of touches and a certain number of touchdowns. And 
the receiver is dependent on the quarterback. I mean, look what happened to the Cowboys last year once Prescott was injured. The whole team, what we thought was going to be one of the best offenses in football, was a train wreck, an absolute train wreck. You, you can't project all that stuff. So to me, there's more wide receivers that can give you 10 points than running backs. A lot more. I, um, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree. We'll pitch it over here to Justin. Um, I will say that my thought on that is entirely true, and they will move. My thing is I want to be able to, like, for instance, if Justin right now after riding Devontae Adams, let's say next year Devontae Adams, he rides him all the way to a championship game because of his productivity like he did last year. Uh, and then he decides to flip Devontae Adams after getting three years of tremendous success from him, he can get as much value, if not more, than when he got him. And so that's the the ascendancy of a wide receiver's value versus that of a running back. You know, right now, if you try to trade me Todd Gurley for a fifth-round Debbie pick two years from now, I'm laughing at you and saying, drop the bum. Uh, and so I think that's kind of where the difference is. But to your point, and this is where I think you and I do agree, that I do believe a running back gives you more win now potential than any other position in football, not even close. And you're right. Michael Carter will probably outproduce every wide receiver, rookie wide receiver I drafted this year. That is 100% true. And for your team, <laughs> you're, you're trying, to, you're trying to, to win a championship. You, you are undergoing the quickest rebuild of all time, from, from second to last to potentially first. Jay, what do you want to throw into this conversation? Nothing, man. Y'all are doing a great job. Uh, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm a, my, my dynasty window is two to three years, always. Um, I'm looking at probably like two and a half. And so that's why I don't mind going after your Kamara's. And I'm like, yeah, for like a year or two more, he's going to be at, you know, a top so-and-so back, you know, barring injury, obviously. Um, so, you know, I don't mind getting a little bit older receivers like Amari Cooper, who somehow is only 26. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, you know, so I actually, let me click on Kenny Galladay while we're here. Yeah, somehow Amari Cooper is younger than Kenny Galladay. Go make sense of that for me, and <laughs> we'll go from there. Um, so, but I don't mind having a little bit older receivers. I don't mind having a little bit older running backs. But at the same time, I think y'all just both put up really good points. Running backs for are way more predictable. We, I think I'm, I'm way more confident in what I'm getting out of my running backs than what I'm getting out of these receivers. I really am. At uh, at the same time, though, like you said, I'm more confident in Devontae Adams' trade value three years from now than I am in any of my running backs' trade value three years from now. Way more confident. Um, so I think both those things are way – are both both y'all are having tremendous points. And that's what makes fantasy football fun is that one of those is going to be right this year, right? One of, well, that's it. A couple, a couple years ago, you wanted the running backs. You, could, you couldn't help but want those top-end running backs from the year before. And now you're looking at, like, what happened last year where CMC goes down, Saquon goes down. All of a sudden, the running backs from last year, you, who, who cares? Give me Antonio Gibson and give me DeAndre Swift and you and trade those guys for higher end receivers, you know, winning a championship, right? So it's so volatile. You know, both of y'all are so right. And I loved listening to it. And I find myself being like with more question marks than exclamation marks, I guess, because I'm just like it it's a game of chance. As much as as much as there is assuredness in this, I think there I think you can be more sure in cryptocurrency than you can in fantasy football. And that's something that's just a fun ride, a fun wave to ride. Yeah, I think you're totally right. This is the volatility of uh, football. Um, you know, yeah. Um, it, and this is also the, the ride. I think it's, uh, I think the ceiling and floor is kind of what we all play. We all play the game of ceiling and floor. To go zero RB uh, is a floor play or is a ceiling play with a floor that is a, a bottomless pit 
for eternity. You could end up being the worst fantasy team of all time, of which I have those rosters. You can also be looking at a roster where you're winning championships, and especially in PPR formats, and feeling really good about your situation moving forward. Absolutely. Uh, ironically, bell cow running back is the exact opposite. The floor is so high. If you can, I mean, predictability of good running backs, you can hit on 100% of the time. And in fantasy football, all you need is a high floor because inevitably teams around you will rise and fall. And if you're consistently good with good running backs, you probably win more championships than not. Uh, and so I think it's the approach that you take. Uh, Nick, I, I enjoy having you in the league uh, because I enjoy the fact that we vehemently disagree on how we value players, which makes trades talks hilarious and also a lot of fun. Uh, Justin, Nick, we've, we've uh, gone for now two podcasts in a row here. Anything you guys want to say to the people before we sign off for the day? I got nothing, man. I was really, really moved the other day when you guys uh, mentioned to me that you raised some funds for Roots. Um, I, I know some of you guys aren't familiar with that work uh, very much, but um, we work with 10 missionaries who are in like just some unbelievably bad situations. And especially through COVID, our missionaries are like hung out to dry. It's been really awful. And um, we're going to put those funds towards um, a retreat that we host. The intent is to do it every year. Last year, it had to be canceled. And um, we're going to rent out a big house, provide all the meals, uh, cover all the costs of everything for our missionaries and bring in some counselors that help them work on wow. issues within their marriage. We plan a lot of fun activities to kind of get away. And honestly, it's like, I mean, I, I would feel very comfortable saying it's probably like a vacation that some of these guys never get the opportunity to take. Just go to a beautiful place out in St. George and spend a week together. Um, it's, wow. The intent is to be really spiritually uplifting and to kind of reset these workers to go back into their works and, and do this work. And so that's where those funds will go. And I deeply appreciate you guys uh, making that sacrifice. I really appreciate that. Well, buddy, we love you and we love what you do. And uh, as someone who's gotten to spend most of my life seeing the Navajo mission, uh, it's incredibly moving. Um, that area is, it's its own nation. It really is. And in many ways, it's a third world nation living in the richest nation in the world. Uh, the amount of hurt and suffering in that area, depression, and, and it's brutal. Uh, and to see what you guys have done to that, not only to the people spiritually, but to the communities is what's moving to me. Um, the stories that, I, that always stick with me are the times where the church does things for the community. And it's, the church isn't just a spiritual organization. It's, a, it's an infrastructure that the city can build itself around. And that's what the mission you guys have is. And it's incredible. Uh, I appreciate all you do and the sacrifices you make uh, for sure. And on behalf of the league, um, when we said it, we offered a, you know, just give what you can. I was, my, my original goal on PayPal was $100. If we could just give $100, that'd be cool. And then the gifts started coming in. They were anonymous. So I don't know who gave or how much, but I will say that when I checked a day later and we had, you know, 13, 1400, I was blown away. So um, yeah, it's, this league is incredible, and I'm glad we're doing things that's more than just fantasy, that we're really making a difference in the world around us. And um, I it, guys. it really moves me. I mean, that's uh, more important than fantasy football, obviously. Mm. Good stuff. I appreciate it. Jay, you want to add anything? Sure don't. 
Okay. Love you guys. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this two for one week where you got both an NFL draft recap, a Debbie draft recap. You got Nick bringing fire, Justin bringing fire, me just being the fire blanket in this whole podcast. I, I really do appreciate it. I'll see you guys next week where Cameron and I will get on and talk about some big things happening in the Debbie sphere. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week and I will see you later.